Uh, oh, wait a minute. All right, we are live. It is Talking Preps. Uh, we're, we're still getting kind of set up. We're not quite there yet. Sam has late practice, so I don't know if he's going to be joining us or not. I really think he's kept in late practice because he got beat so bad on the game show last week, so he didn't want to have to take on anybody this week. I think he doesn't want to cover. He's, he's covering for his cheating Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. We're going to talk about that, too. We go, let's see. Now, you guys clown Alex all the time. My man hey. got his screen up. His lights is up. Preston. Look, I don't know what the issue is, is here. Preston. There, you go. there we go. He got his flannel on. Alex, ready. I like it. I see. Hey, that was a game face right there. That is a game face. You hear Alex, me? are you frozen or are you just giving it? You staring us down? You can see the Oh, don't worry. I'm not frozen tonight. I'm as hot as all get out. And I can get rid of the background right here and bring my iron on too. No, 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 no. I'm going to be hotter than Daryl Ross was with that hot sauce last week because we got a lot of stuff to talk about tonight. I am hot about the way DJ McFadden is being treated. Okay. All right. Well, before we get to that, we're going to get to this. All right, it's time for Rapid Fire. Uh, I'm not even going to play the theme music so we can get right to it. Uh, Dale, local schools responded really quickly to Hurricane Ian this week. CMS is always not being quite as nimble is that they would be waiting, 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 and sometimes they get to a point where they couldn't get officials because they waited so long. Got to give kudos to Erica Turner for this, yes or no? Oh, yeah, this was a shock to me that they responded this quickly. They usually wait until Tuesday or Wednesday to make this kind of decision, so good move. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Gary, what do you think? Because you've been part of that, you know, waiting, 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 and then finding out you have to play money. I, I think that's that's the advantage of having a formal coach mm. in a school that knows how these decisions need to be made as opposed to coming, you know, from up top, from somebody who's never coached before. Right. So I think she did an excellent job making that decision. Yeah, I thought I thought that was uh, phenomenal. Chris, I see you nodding your head. You want to jump in there? No, I couldn't agree more. I'm I'm extremely impressed with the proactiveness of uh, Erica Turner and her office in getting ahead of this, like you mentioned. You know, I, everybody wants to play on Fridays. You know, everybody's a traditionalist, and, you know, you want to play the football Friday nights. Uh, but, you know, these schools are businesses. These athletic departments, they need to make some money. You know, you play in a rainstorm, ain't nobody going to show up. And, all that, by the way, let's not forget about player safety. I mean, you don't want to risk players – cheerleader, ROTC personnel, whoever getting injured in the storm. So let's play the games early or play them on Monday. But I, I applaud her 100%. Yeah, a lot of schools had homecoming this weekend, including Catholic and Chase or two to come to mind. And, you know, you have homecoming on Friday night in the rain. It kind of, you know, it, 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 it's a bummer. You know, you want to have – I think West Charlotte has homecoming too. You want to have homecoming in good weather where everybody can come out, get in the cars, ride around the field and, and wave to everybody. So I thought that was really good on Erica Turner for doing that. She jumped on that really quick. Uh, Gary, Mallet Creek uh, coach Ralph Hammond was uh, murdered, unfortunately, last week. They had a, a ceremony on Monday. A lot of people came out, had a balloon uh, release. Uh, you know, how big of a shock that it, is that for the community? Oh, it's, it's, it's tough, especially for teenagers, because sometimes, you know, you see big kids, especially big Mallet Creek kids, and we forget they're still children, and they probably haven't experienced a lot of death in their life, and... Um, you know, he's just with them one day and gone the next. That is, that's rough uh, yeah. for kids. 
Yeah, uh, Coach Ammon was just 56 years old. He was not only was he a coach, but in the offseason, he would let the kids come work out at his house. He was yeah. a, a big part of, of that community over there. Uh, Coach Palmieri talked about him. All the coaches that have been over there talked about and, and, him. And another thing with that, being the fact that he was a volunteer, yeah. you know, volunteers don't get paid in CMS. They do it out of the goodness of their hearts. That, make, that makes it doubly sad that yeah. somebody who didn't have to do something gave up their time like that to be taken away so soon is, is tragic. Yeah, Chris, I see you nodding your head. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't even really know the coach other than my name, but I just have to agree with what Gary's saying. You know, uh, you, you know, traumatic events like that tend to stay with these young people. Uh, they'll remember them forever. And, you know, they'll, they'll take away the good times, especially those who had a chance to work out with him. Uh, but I just can't imagine the uh, struggle and, and just the sad feelings that that whole community is going through. Yeah, well, and I commend uh, Mallet Creek for how quickly they put together the memorial um, out on the field. There was a lot of people out there. I thought it was really well done. I saw some of the videos. They were on uh, Instagram. People were tagging me, and I appreciate you guys doing that as well. So I thought that was wonderful. Uh, Cameron, you were at the Huff Chambers game, and this we weren't going to have this as a topic, but you readers were saying you want oh, – viewers were saying you wanted – us to discuss you. You at Huff Chambers. Uh, what do you think about uh, Huff and their young defense? You know, shutting down Chambers like that. I mean, top two, top three defense in the state. Um, wow. They they are well well oiled. You know, they're a well oiled machine. And you know, I don't think there's a defense. I mean, maybe cha- one thing that a lot of people forget is that Chambers on defense held you know, the Huff offense to seven points, too. The difference in that game was simply a kickoff return and a safety. But those two squads right there probably have the best defenses in the state. They are very solid. Kings Mountain, a close third. Gary, what do you think? Kind of echoing what Cameron said, both offenses only scored one touchdown. And like we all mentioned, that special teams would probably be the the turning point. And Huff ran – the opening kickoff back, and I think that was the game right there. Mm. Um, it, it was a slugfest the rest of the night. Um, Huff got a, a safety late in the game, um, but the the special teams was was the turning point, and that happened on the first play of the game. They ran it back all the way, and yeah. uh, Chambers was playing catch-up the rest of the night. Now. I think that was Huff's fourth straight win in the regular season, Gary. But in the playoffs, it's been reversed, and we and we keep Chris is already nodding his head. I'm going to come to you, Chris. In the playoffs, it's been reversed. Do you think Chambers could reverse this again if if these teams were to meet the playoffs? Yeah, I think they can. Um, you know, I I don't think Huff ever comes into that game lacking confidence. Mm. Um, they just haven't finished in the playoffs. And because uh, they had a big lead last season in the playoff game, and, and they blew it in the last three or four minutes of the fourth quarter. So, um, you know, if things play out the way we expect it to, the next game will be at Huff uh, since they have the tiebreaker right now. So, um, once again, it could go either way, but, you know, that's one school that's not intimidated by Chambers. Absolutely. Huff. Guru, what do you think about this? Well, if, I'm, if I am Chambers and we're just going to predict that they do match back up in late November uh, and, and it's a playoff game, I think Chambers would much rather be on the road going to play at a Huff. I think that that bodes better for them. Uh, but, you know, talking about, you know, Huff just having to find a way to get over the hump when it comes to those big playoff matchups, uh, pr- predominantly against uh, Chambers. Um, 
you know, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of those mid 2000 Mike Newsom led Butler teams that, you know, for a couple years in a row, they just kind of, they looked to be the better part. They, they matched up against those TK led independence Patriots, but just couldn't quite get over the hump until they finally did. And I think that that's getting close to where this Huff team is. Uh, you know, they struggled to get there. Uh, but I think whenever they do find, finally learn to win that big game, I think you'll see some big things by them Huskies. Cameron. Yeah, uh, the Chambers team seemed to be playing a little banged up. I know I noticed uh, Anshon came off the field, had an ankle injury. Uh, Braylon, Zion Booker, they were cramping up. Um, so I think, you know, they play again, you know, come late November. I think it could go either way. But I think offenses will probably find their stride in that, you know, game come November if they do play again. I think if they do play again, Chambers has to get the ball to their best player's hands, and KC has got to touch the football. Dale, you were hey, ready. KC was playing yeah, hurt. Don't forget that, I, what was it, five to seven years ago when Huff beat Mallard Creek in the regular season, when Mallard Creek was in the middle midst of their, you know, state championships and on in uh, all of Mecklenburg County, and, and Huff beat them in the regular season but failed in the playoffs. So it's not, it's not been an uncommon thing for them to win against a rival like this in the regular season and then lose in the playoffs. I think I was probably tired of hearing about that. Um, I <laughs> want to ask about Catholic and Independence. Now, Gary, Independence was winning 35 to 28. There were 40, uh, about 90 seconds left to go in the game. They were inside Catholic's 40-yard line. In this situation, as a coach, you probably run, run, run. I don't think Catholic had any timeouts, maybe one run the clock out, maybe punt it down there, and they can't. They don't have much of a chance to win or the chances are very small. DJ McFadden went for the juggler. He went for the big pass over the top. It was intercepted. Catholic ran it back near midfield, went down and scored. It went for two and won the game. DJ took full responsibility after the game, but what do you think, you know, hearing all of that? Well, I just heard about the conclusion today, and even though I saw the highlights Friday night, um, I think it's a learning experience for – uh, Coach McFadden, but at the same time, I think in, uh, Independence can be recognized as one of the best teams in town now. I, I wasn't sure they were in for town real. or in the state. Um, well, if you're one of the best in Mecklenburg County, that makes you one of the best in the state. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Exactly. Yep. Uh, Alex, I love you. You've been chomping at the bit to defend your boy DJ, so go ahead. I'm going to defend DJ McFadden to no end on this, and I'm going to call out everyone who is percolating in the cesspool of iniquity trying to turn education-based athletics and make a mockery of this situation right here. DJ McFadden did exactly what he should have done. And what we're seeing here is we're seeing all the haters who hated on DJ McFadden as a player when he had to follow Chris Leak and Joe Cox and said that he couldn't get the job done. He only won two state championships himself. So all the haters who hated on DJ McFadden as a player, why don't you just go back into hiding? Because you're hating on him as a coach at the same time. DJ McFadden did what his team does well. And he put his players in a position to do what they do well. The saddest thing about all of this is everyone wants to talk about what they perceive was a botched call. How sad is it that nobody here has been talking about the fact 
that Landon Herzberg, anyone know who Landon Herzberg is? No, because nobody's talking about the fact that he made a play to intercept the pass. No one wants to talk about that. No one wants to talk about that once Charlotte Catholic got the ball back, that they made plays to score. No one wants to talk about that Charlotte Catholic made a play on a two-point conversion. Nobody wants to talk about how DJ McFadden in exemplary leadership showed his student athletes that it's their responsibility to do what they do well in a situation. He put them in a position to do what they do well and somebody else made a play. I am sick and tired of all the haters who are trying to come after DJ McFadden, who is an exemplary leader of young men. This is the same hatred to which DJ McFadden was subjected when he followed Chris Leak and Joe Cox at Independence. And I just want to say for the record right here, for all the haters who had it out for DJ McFadden as a player, uh, Mr. McFadden finished. Yeah, that's Mr. McFadden, uh, just like Mr. Newman, by the way. <laughs> Mr. McFadden, Mr. McFadden finished his high school career as a player with two state championships. And he was 32. All, so all those haters, all those haters who were out for him back then as a player and are now trying to do it as a coach when he actually showed exemplary leadership, two championships as a player, Independence is on its way back under DJ McFadden. Well done, coach. <laughs> Chris is back in the chat, so he feels like he's at a revival. Go ahead, Cameron. <laughs> I mean, I don't think, Alex, that it's anybody hating on him. I think, I mean, they're probably questioning his play call. I mean, why not run the ball? There's no need to make a play on the ball and to make an interception if they're running the ball. So I just say run it, and you don't <laughs> – I mean, that, that takes that out of the equation. I'll tell yeah. you why he didn't run it. I'll tell you exactly why he didn't run it. And Chris will remember this game. It was sometime back in the early 2000s, one of the last Richmond-Scotland games when Mark was the Scott was the Scotland coach. And, and, and we'll go back to that Richmond-Jack Britt game, too. But one of Mark Barnes' last games. Uh-oh, we lost Alex. Well, yeah, now I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in where Alex is going, and and, and I'm gonna say this, you know, nobody nobody is at those practices Lockout. during the week. We're not there. And got a turnover. It's the same thing that Jack Britt in the 2008 state final. All they had to do was run the clock out. They got a fumble. Richmond wins the state title. You can't second guess those things, particularly when teams do what they do well. And DJ McFadden put independence in a position to do what they do well kudos to coach mcfadden right. yeah, and i want to jump in i want to jump in here too you know nobody else is spending time at the practice fields like he is in that staff nobody's watching the film they know that they as that's to coaches they know what those players can do and what they've done in week in practice all week they, they know what they're capable of now sure dj mcfadden might look back on it in hindsight being what it is 2020 he might uh think man you know i'll 
do something different next time. But you can better daggum believe that he's going to take this with him. And years from now, he'll go back to that. And it's going to be a learning moment for him. And, and, and you know, you talk about independence being on the precipice of the verge right there being a top 10 team. I think DJ McFadden is showing every week that he is, you know, one of those next level coaches that we'll be talking about for the next 10, 12, 15 years, however long he coaches. And, and I think that this one game right here may be that one shining, defining moment uh, that pushes him on forward to, to big, big things. Damn. Okay, so I've known DJ longer than anybody. I know, I've known him since a freshman at Olympic. And I love the kid, and he knows that. Um, I'm not hating on him. He made the wrong call. He will learn from this. DJ, he's that kind of coach. Um, he's that kind of person. I understand what he was doing, and I don't disagree with the motive for what he was doing. But sometimes, especially as you're building your program and you're looking for that signature win to help bring that program back up to where it was at, uh, you have to do the things to get the W. But uh, not hating on him. I ne I've never hated DJ. I always loved him. All right. I want to hear from our offensive coordinator in the room. What would you do, Grace, if you in the same situation? Yeah, I think, you know, you look at the situation. I think, you know, with his team, he's built that team around this sophomore quarterback, Justin Little. He is one of the best quarterbacks in the city, one of the best young quarterbacks in the state. I think with what he, you know, what he has available to him, you take that opportunity. I think, you know, coming into the game and, and clearly by you guys' picks, everyone thought Catholic would win. You're in a situation which you're really the underdog. I look at it as in that situation, you want to play out of declare war than poker. If you're playing poker against a team like that, you feel like the house may win. If I'm playing I declare war, if I'm taking that shot, making a 50-50 chance to win, and I get that chance to win, and I make that play, game's over. Um, you know, I think he took that position. He wanted to go and have support with this quarterback and say, I, I believe in you. I trust you, and we're going to make this play. It's going to pay dividends down the road because the quarterback knows that my head coach has faith in me, and I'm going to make that play next time. All right. Um, well, I, I gave Gary and Bell a little homework uh, I asked them what Charlotte Mecklenburg conferences should look like because we had a discussion last week about uh, West Charlotte and West Mech being two, three, eight teams in the best four eight uh, league in the state. And I didn't, I don't, I still don't think that's fair. So I asked Gary and Dale because they're two of the, the people I know to follow high schools the longest. And Gary came up with his his idea, and Dale came up with his idea. And if you guys out there have comments, drop them in the comments. We'll put them on screen. There you go, Gary. Okay, um, I thought about what are the ways that we could do it that would be equitable. And first I said, well, what about we have one conference for football and then one conference for basketball? But when I got to thinking about it, the conference that tends to dominate football also dominates basketball. So um, I said, well, we're going to have to break up that combination. So what I looked into is the, um, the ADMs of, of all the schools and, and CMS. Um, the, the only numbers I could find were from last year. So they don't include Palisades. Um, of course, uh, Palisades is created from, from Olympics. So it doesn't have Olympics current numbers. So I kind of, um, did it that way. We have three schools in the school system that have over 3000 students. That would be, uh, Audrey Kale, Myers Park and South Mech. So I put them at one in each conference and Ooh. then we have about seven schools that have between 2,000 and 2,500 students so I took 
two from each um, out of that seven as best I could and put two in each conference. And then we have about uh, seven schools, including Charlotte Catholic, mm-hmm. uh, that have 1,500 students or less. And so, and then I, I filled it in that way. I, I couldn't consider rivalries because there's so many rivalries yeah. that you couldn't accommodate everybody. So, I think nowadays every CMS game is a rivalry almost. It, it's uh, it's kind of gotten to that point. Let, let's take a look at Dale's uh, list. Let me find Dale's list. Because Gary's, wait a minute. What did I do with Dale's? I hope I didn't lose it, Dale. Uh-huh. You just had it up there before we started. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I can't find it right now. Hold on a minute. Well, um, what do you guys think? Well, I find, wait, I got deals. Wait, I was just about to ask you guys which time I found deals. I apologize, y'all. It's live TV. Here we go. There's Dale. So the way Dale did his was I I figured the way that our playoffs were done in the past with split comp or with not split conference, with split playoffs that was done for equity based on ADM. I think we all understand and believe that ADM should uh, schools with similar ADM should have similar capabilities or ability to be as good as each other. Uh, so I did mine solely on ADM, highest ADM to lowest ADM, and uh, I didn't do any shifting of putting you know one of the largest in each of the conferences. Conference one is the top uh, the, the, the top ADM schools, then the next ADM, next largest ADM for the next one. I, I had to guess at Olympics because, again, like Gary said, we don't have Olympics numbers. We know they were one of the largest schools, uh, not only in the city but in the state. So we figured they're going to fall somewhere in that second conference. And then the third conference is, is again, I'm just going by ADM, the next largest ADM down. Mm-hmm. And that's the way this ranking goes is based or scheduling is based on size of schools. Now, I will only say, I mean, I don't, you know, I think that conference one, there's going to be some upset coaches because a lot of people aren't going to make the playoffs every year. That, that June, conference June. one is the SEC West. Yeah, that's, 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 that's pretty rough. Cameron, what do you think? Uh, yeah. I mean, just to kind of emphasize that, I mean, you're looking at powerhouse, powerhouse, powerhouse in that yeah. first conference. But how do you know they're going to be a powerhouse? You Independence used to be a powerhouse. Yeah. Then they went to not being a powerhouse. So well, you they're don't still know a good who's team going to be year. a powerhouse next I, I love Conference 3, though. I will say that. I love Conference 3. I think that's a really good I think Conference 3 well, is I even know. a little – I mean, Charlotte Catholic yeah. wins that conference. Hey, Grace. Don't, don't be quiet, Grace. Go ahead. I hear you. <laughs> no, I, I think the tough thing about this here is especially if you're dictating – you know, the, by, by your conference making the playoffs. Again, if it was just open, you know, the best teams based on strength of schedule and things of that nature, maybe they would be okay with conference one. But conference one, you literally have a situation in which you have playoff deserving teams that wouldn't make the playoffs. Yeah. Conference yeah. three, you have a faction of uh, parents banding across Charlotte to petition against Charlotte Catholic in that conference three. Hey, you want to unify the city together? You got everybody from Palisades to West Charlotte, <laughs> West Bay, banding to get Catholic to hell out of their conference. No, most three. every one of those schools, with the exception of Rocky River and Palisades, have been in conference together for now, years. Right. also remember West Charlotte and West Mecca, 3A. So, no, I agree. I they don't be in the playoff conversation with Catholic in that game. Yeah. That, that's I'm why I like that conversation. With that either. What 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 sport does Catholic not win the conference in in that conference three? Basketball. 
and, and 15 others, they win. <laughs> yeah. But they've sure. been in that. They've been in a similar conference, and they and they were wanting an Olympics. Yeah, so said, if Sam was on the show, he'd be getting hot right now. Right, Sam, Sam would like that because it puts him into and, more and, equitable. And, and guys, I'm gonna make a prediction. In the next realignment, West Charlotte won't be 3A because that school is going to fill up. Right. If you've seen the progress going on down by West Charlotte and the people that are moving there, their numbers are getting ready to increase. Yeah, don't, hey, don't, don't, don't give right. out staff secrets. Told One more that. thing. Those conferences need to be realigned every two years. I like it. I don't disagree like with that. I don't, I don't like The Charlotte changes so, so fast. I like it. Cameron, you get the last word here. Well, yeah, I mean, if you mind uh, putting Dale's list back up really quick. And I just got rid of it. Oh, Lord. That's going to take at least five minutes. <laughs> I know, right? Well, no, I mean, it's this. okay. I, I think I can remember. You know, you know, I, just it, think, you know I think Butler me. wins Conference 2 oh, in football insane. like year in, year out. <laughs> Butler would probably win that conference the majority of the you years. You can't say anything and, in CMS year in and year out because schools change. Power shifts in CMS. That is very. That is very true. That is that, on the that south is a, side. It's been pretty pretty level, though. I think that's for basketball, conference thing. three would be pretty interesting. You got Harding and West Charlotte. I, I really like conference three. I really do. I mean, I hate I, it, and I like some of what Gary had up there too. I really, I don't, I don't like it the way it is. I like, not, I like, I like Dale's. I'm not sure too. I like the SEC West and conference one. Oh, yeah, I like Dale's too, though. So I think if you can mix conference one and two together, leave conference three. I think we. Yeah, can but see again, I still believe power is going to shift. You're going to see the, well, you're going to see the Huffs and Mallard Creek one day, and Chambers not be the powers that they are. That's but I mean, that, that day ain't going to be right now, though. I think that's it's going thing. to happen. It, it, it may happen in the next two years. Chambers will not be. One of the top uh, teams in the school in the in the city. I don't think it's going to be in the next two years. People were saying that about Mallard Creek when they were in their run, and look what happened. They're on the so, way back though. And and last year was arguably the quote unquote worst year, and we still freaking beat Butler and made it to the dang final, you know, third round of the playoffs. So that's if that's a down year, that's hey, that's probably going to be the lowest. That's, year that's not bad. That's not bad. But look, guys, speaking of you know games and calls and whatnot. There was a call at West Charlotte West Mac last week. It potentially cost West Mac a playoff bid. First quarter, a 0-0 game. West Charlotte threw a pass at the goal line. It was a clear uh, incompletion. Not Maybe not from where the referee was looking at. Obviously not from where the referee was looking at. But the, the game ended 7-0 and West Charlotte got the playoff bid. West Mac didn't. Had a chance to talk to both coaches. Sam's not here. We did talk to him on uh, when I talked to him on Sunday. So I'm going to play that for you then we're going to react. Yeah, well, we, we saw the play in real time in the first quarter. And, of course, it's early in the ball game. So uh, we try to dispute it. We try to talk to the refs. Um, they kind of dismissed us. Um, didn't really give us an explanation or anything until after the kick, uh, after the PAT. Um, even after the PAT, they really still didn't give us a whole lot of answers. Their biggest thing was uh, go review film and, uh, and, and submit it, uh, you know, for a review. So, you know, that was their thing. They kept it moving. It was so early in the ball game um, that, you know, it was a bang-bang play that happened. So we kind of just kept moving forward. Uh, we still had it in the back of our minds, you know, at the end of the game. Um, so we quickly reviewed it once the game was over. We went and looked at film and we reviewed it yeah. and we caught it again. So um, it would have happened maybe in the fourth quarter. Uh, we would have made a bigger deal at the, at the moment because it was the first quarter. Uh, we knew we had a whole ball game to play, so we kind of just kept it moving. Yeah, but the the official that would see that was actually in the middle of the field, so it's actually tougher to see. Okay. This is a corner angle view. 
So, like, right here, the only way you'd be able to see it would be in the corner view. Like, I honestly didn't see it until they posted it. When you watch it on film from up top, you can't – like, if you turn in game film – So, so, so this is our thing, it. Sam. So, as soon as it happens, we know it's happening because we hear on the headset, our guys up top see it happening clear as day. So, they're hollering in the headset to me, you know, what's going on. The side judges has the same view or a better view than I have, so he actually can see the play. So, he can see that it's happening, and you know it's a controversy because they don't automatically call it a touchdown. They, they're looking at each other because they're talking. And he sees it, and we're yelling at him. And he's like, "Hold on, hold on, I got it, I got it. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna tell him what's going on." Next thing we know, it's a touchdown. All right, Dale, we have a referee problem in the area, in, in all areas. There's not enough referees. They, they get abused, and Grice is, is can probably talk to us. He's a referee on the weekend. They get abused. They're underpaid. They're overworked. But I know you want to have more referees to avoid situations like this. They had a five-man crew. They had a seven-man crew. Maybe they don't miss that call. What are your thoughts here? There's nothing that can be done. The game's done in West Mexico. Yeah. Probably go two and two to get a playoff bid. So let me say just a couple of things. First of all, if we actually had a side judge in that game, we did not. We only had a five-man crew. Yes. Coaches need to learn the, the officials. We had a wing official, but not a side uh, line official. Yeah, that might have made a difference because people are in, in different positions. Officials have different areas of responsibility that they have to look at on the field. And, and because of where they're at and where players are at and just so many things can play in that they can miss something like this. I do want to see seven-man crew, but I recognize that. We can't even have that discussion right now until we get more officials. We don't have enough officials. Even if even if it came out this Friday night or this Thursday night and said, okay, we can have seven-man crews, we couldn't fill them. So problem number one is we've got to address the number of officials. If we can get to that point, we really do need seven-man crews because of not just because of plays like that, but because the athletes are faster, they're, they are more athletic, they're bigger, they're stronger. It's harder for officials to see everything with the game speed that we have. So uh, we need more officials now so we can have seven-man crews, and we need officials that are healthy, not having officials that are out there that can't run around because we have that situation. So. We need to address it. It's it's a big issue. Grace, you seeing this thing, you know, every day almost, you know, this official problem. I have two questions for you. What could we do to increase officials? Two, could we have seven-man crews deeper in the playoffs when there's fewer games? I think first, I mean, you talk about what could you do is just spreading the word and recruitment. I, I think that was, you know, kind of one of the things that you know, came, became a joke at, at the beginning, but something I seriously wanted to do on the weekends to increase, one, increase my knowledge of the game, and two, just kind of give back to the game that, you know, has given so much to me. Um, you know, I think that would spread the word. We do have a lot of young officials, actually post-COVID, we, we have a lot of young officials who've come out there and even been, you know, put themselves into, you know, into these spots of Thursday and Friday night. The, the officials or the crew that was there is actually a very experienced crew. The, the white hat actually is one of our trainers. I mean, again, you talk about knowledge of the rules, you talk about some of the understanding mechanics. He is one of the best guys that 
you know, that we have. Looking at it and with my understanding, and kind of Dale alluded to it there, we're talking about wing officials. It seemed just to be the perfect blind spot where, again, you're inside, you know, it looks like it was inside the 10. You've got a wing official who's, whose view is obstructed by the defensive player. The ball mm-hmm. hits him, and it looks like the umpire, who didn't immediately signal touchdowns, was in a tough position where he seemed obstructed from the view of it as well. And I think, you know, I, I can understand the frustration, but I think the one other piece that we talk about, this was a first quarter play. You know, I think that because of how the game went and, and, and everything like that, if people are pointing to this situation, you know, I, I never want to be in a situation where I want to point or or make light or say, hey, well, this is the reason why we lost. Um, you know, it's unfortunate. I think it's just a situation in which, you know, a call was missed, but, you know, people got to understand referees are human too. And w- without the advent of review, um, I, I don't know that we'll be able to kind of rectify these situations. So it's a tough spot. We've all been in there. I think, you know, yeah. without delving too much into it, I know I've been in that situation, you know, in the game in my past where it wasn't a touchdown. It was clear as day to see and it was missed. So, you yeah. know, the you can do is keep playing. And Sam, 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 he, like he made the comment, Coach Beatty made the comment that if it had been later in the game, he'd have been more adamant about it. One thing coaches have got to understand, once the call's made, you right, I was about to say. I mean, you can get a fifty. There's no review, but it's really not not much more you can do. Sam is not going to like this, but he ought to get a trophy to whoever holds it. Uh, oh, <laughs> and, and, it, and it be neutral for one year. Neutral for one year? Huh? Yeah, let it be neutral for one year, even though it goes down in the state as a West Charlotte win. Well, again, uh, West Mac can go two and two, and I think they would finish six and four, and that would probably put them in five and five is going to be a little dicey. But you know, I'm I'm pulling for them to do that. I, I hate for this thing to happen to any team like that. Max Preps did tag me in a video today of the same type of play that happened in I think it's Texas. It was a longer pass, but the same thing. The kid obviously dropped the ball. He actually rolled over on top of it, jumped up, and they caught they called a touchdown. So as you guys say, these things do happen a lot. All right, Alex, moving up into your neck of the woods and Garner on Friday night, Scott Chadwick and Coach Clayton, old friend of the show from Mars Park, beat Garner 49 to nothing. And Garner coach Thurman Leach would not shake hands after the game. And he also instructed his players not to shake hands, even after the parents on Garner said shake hands. He felt like Coach uh, ran a score up on him, even though Coach said, I played my backup quarterback in my bench in the second half, and it was 42 nothing at halftime. I'm going to play the video that some of the parents put on Facebook, and then I want you to respond. Offensive mind in this deal. Oh, 14 nothing. Sir, it's football. It's football. It doesn't matter. Y'all lose. It doesn't matter. It's, it's poor coaching. That's what it is. I'm going to tell you what. It's poor coaching. I mean, the it fact that you didn't get in until eight care. minutes to go, man. I don't care. Give him his pass. You're done. I've never seen it like that in my life. I don't care. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, wait a minute. that's what is going on. That's what I'm this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. It's poor. This, this is not right. That's not right. Those kids, those kids, those kids, you gotta teach them. You gotta teach them kids that right there, yo. That's not right. That's bad respect for these kids, right? Y'all don't teach those kids that right there, man. And my son, y'all love supporting that as bro. All right, it got a little ugly after that. I don't even want to show that part. But um, Alex, your response to seeing what happened in Garner. Do you feel like Coach Chavik ran the score up? Do you feel like uh, Coach uh, Leach handled that correctly? We're not going to talk about running up the score. Everyone's got their own opinions about that. We're not going to talk about shaking hands or not shaking hands in a post-game handshake line. Everyone's got their own opinions about that. Obviously, someone would 
do, do the same thing in these COVID times. We're, everyone's got opinions about that. We're not going to, I mean, we could talk about that all day. I am going to say one thing about this situation. This altercation never should have happened. It is imperative for everyone to acknowledge the 24 hour cool down period to be afforded coaches, student athletes, and parents after any type of situation, which might warrant discussion if there are concerns as there obviously were in this situation. So should there be discussion about this? No question, absolutely. But the observance of the 24 hour cool down period is imperative in this circumstance and any other circumstance and a confrontation of parents with student athletes, coaches, whomever outside of team buses minutes after a game left is a recipe for disaster. There were absolutely no winners in this situation whatsoever. Whether anyone feels the score was run up or not is, is moot. Whether anyone feels that the, uh, that, that, the coach should have instructed his players to shake hands. That's moot right now. Let's look at the requirement that it be imperative for there be to, there to be the 24-hour cool-down period, and then we can sit down and hash these things out if there are concerns over whether it's running up the score, whether it's the example a coach is setting for players, whether it's how something was handled, whatever it is. But there were no winners in this situation, this reinforces the absolute imperative nature of the 24 hour cool down period to be respected. Grace. Absolutely not. The, the, the behavior shown by that coach was disgusting in my opinion. And I think he deserves at, at minimum a reprimand from the state. I don't care in what environment that you're in. I don't care what scenario I didn't, you know, I've been a part of beating someone by 60. I've lost 70 to nothing on Saturday evening. When we were the only game on TV people, I, Twitter coaches, I know laughing, kind of smirking at how bad it was. They intentionally scores being run up, you know, whatever, what have you. I still shook everyone's hand looked in the eyes of every single coach and said, good game. You're going to be on the good side of this, and you're going to be on the bad side of this. And for this coach, one, to not shake the hand of a coach. We know Coach Chadwick, first off. Let's start there. We know he's not been a part of that, and he's been on the winning and losing side of games. And to not shake his hand, and then even more so to instruct your players to operate in such a manner is not the leadership that we hope that we have from coaches within the state here. It is something to me that's despicable. I don't care how you feel. I've had coaches that I've wanted to to, to fight. I'll say that. I'm sorry if that gets me in trouble. I've had coaches I felt that strongly about, but I'm going to look you in your eyes, shake your hand, and say, good game. This sport gives us too much, and we go through too much to prepare for a game. You've got to respect your opponent in, in every scenario to shake their hand and say, good game. That's unacceptable to me. You know, these are two coaches that I've known personally for a long time. Coach Thurman Leach uh, played football at Fuquay, was a great player collegially, has been a coach at Garner since 1989. Uh, and, you know, that's been a, such a proud program. And Garner was such a standard bearer for 4A football for a long, long, long time. Obviously, we knew about the, the state championship uh, in 87. Uh, and then Coach Scott Chadwick, of course, we're very familiar with him. He'll here. So I know that they're both class human beings and class football coaches. You know, I know that there's a lot of frustration, Garner. You know, that's just not the program that they used to be. They're used to being on the other side of those 49 to nothing wins, and they've won a lot of 40-plus blowouts over the years. Um, so, you know, 
I want to go to it this though. Yeah, the, the confrontation with the parents afterwards, unacceptable. I hate to see that. I hate that something like that gets put on social media because that is just not good for high school football. But I'm also going to tell you what's not good for high school football. High school football is a lesson, a teaching tool, an avenue uh, for players to get from point A to point B, whether it's to play collegiately or to learn the tools and trades of being a good human being, to be a good father, a good worker, a good employee, a good student, whatever the case may be. And as a coach, you're supposed to be the one out there leading the way and showing those players how to be those good men. And that's to me is just not the, the look you want to look. Uh, you want to show a uh, 49 to nothing, a 42 to nothing scored the half. They only scored seven points in the seven, second half. That is nowhere near running up the score um, to me. Uh, you know, I hate it, but you know what? It is what it is. But I'm more concerned with the lesson that he's showing those teachers, those kids. Again, I've got the most respect in the world for Thurman Leach, calling him a dear friend. Uh, but, you know, I, I just hate it. I hate it. It happened for everybody. So Grice and Chris, both of you, great words. Uh, it's a sad situation and I, the, what happened that we saw from the social media, I'm not even going to comment on that because I think that's irrelevant to what was being asked here. Um, at the end of the game, you've got to acknowledge your competitors. Uh, you need to teach your players to acknowledge your competitor. Uh, and that's done through handshake. That's the way that we do that. Uh, we all know that Scott would not run the score up. We all should know that the first half of the game is you're going to do everything you can to score and play ball. Uh, running up the score is throwing for touchdowns in the fourth quarter and throwing for touchdowns at the end of the game instead of taking knees. That's running up the score. So teach the young men to be good, solid citizens and humans by acknowledging their competitor uh, in bat that they had a big battle with. Yes, they lost. It's hard to lose. But as, as a good person, you've got to accept losses just as well as you accept wins. And that's really the other two guys so far have just had great words. So I can't really say anything more. Totally unacceptable by the Gardner coach. Um, he's practicing being a victim. And you don't want to teach your kids to be a victim. Uh, the other time, the only other time it's it's acceptable not to shake hands is if you've had several skirmishes that have led to personal files, and it's being heated, and you're trying to keep a confrontation from taking place with the kids, not with the coaches. Okay, with the kids, you're trying to prevent a confrontation from happening with the kids. I've seen that happen before. But the coaches have to be the role models. They got to shake hands. So the coach from Gardner is totally wrong and acting like a victim. Get better. You don't want the score run up on you? Get better. Exactly. <laughs> what did Tommy say about it's your scoring job. 49 you points? You can only coach one team. Now, he's, 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 <laughs> he's to always say. It's your job to stop me. So, exactly. And I've seen him once on the other on the opposite side of the state championship game. They lost, uh, I think it was 39 to 3 or something, 39 to 6. 39 to 6 to Northern Durham, 1993. Yeah, and, he, and, and he, Thomas shook hands and he took it. And he talked to yeah, him. He, he took it like him. a man. That's the worst loss I've ever seen him take. All right. Uh, so that was rapid fire. It wasn't very rapid, but I want to let you guys have a little fun today. We don't have a, a game show since Sam is uh, 
uh, allegedly at practice. Allegedly, he was practicing for his next cheating move for this coming <laughs> Thursday night. All right. So next up is Grice's gems. We're going to find out who are the state players of the week. All right, my man Grice, can you believe that we're going into week seven of the high school football season? And, hey, we got a lot of guys that got to call for Grice's gyms for week six. Uh, but here are some of the best of the best in the state. Uh, we're going to go all the way down to Cumberland County, uh, mile neck of the woods of Southview High School, uh, taking on my Douglas Bird Eagles and my, my man Rashad Dockery. Look at him, 13 carries, 176 yards, three touchdowns, and a 62 to nothing win. Over again, my Douglas Bird Eagles. It's not 2007, 2008 anymore, Coach Grice. What do we see? Man, hey, Guru, I had to do it last week, giving a Grice's gym to someone that faced uh, my team. Now we're having to do it with you, Guru, to a team that, you know, faced a team that you previously manned the helm. Again, this kid was explosive in this game. I mean, you see the low carry count. You see the high yardage total. That's something we always look for in a Grice's gyms. And a big time, you know, three touchdowns in this game, this big time victory. You got to give him the call here. I thought he was explosive. I thought, you know, he got a lot of chunk plays with his yardage. And I'm happy to, to give him this Grice's gym and rewards for a big time win. Man, and, you know, having coached against Southview, knowing Coach Rodney Brewington the way I do, you know, just watching him get downhill really quick, that's a staple of Rodney Brewington football right there. So, uh, Rashad Dockery, a great job for him. Uh, let's stay in the Sandhills area and go to Pinecrest High School. Uh, Jalen Morgan Pinecrest had 22 carries, 154 yards against Richmond County. That was a barn burner, 30-27 to 27 victory uh, for the Patriots. Uh, that was a big-time game. Before that, Richmond was 41-3 and against Pinecrest. Uh, we know that's some big boy football, Coach. Oh, it is 100%. And, I mean, you know, of course, adding to the woes again of a tough rebuilding season for Richmond County. Big-time win from Pinecrest, 22 carries, 154. This was 30-27. to 27. This wasn't a blowout in, in a performance in that you know, form or fashion. They needed every carry and every yard, like I say, for them to, to be victorious over Richmond County. I know they're going to celebrate this one for a good little while. You know, you try to take only 24 hours, but a win this week for Pinecrest, they're really going to celebrate this heading into next week. So kudos to Jalen Morgan. Big time win for Pinecrest. Absolutely, and that's a big time win for Coach Nick Edens. You know, he just took over at Pinecrest, yep. coming over from Crest. So, a uh, huge win for his early tenure there, uh, leading the Patriots. Uh, Grimsley High School, we know that's one of the teams that Alex Bass is real high on with our rankings. Uh, Ryan Stevens, uh, 10 of 12 passing, 254 yards and two touchdowns, plus rushed for a TD and a huge win over Northwest Guilford. That's a lot of efficiency. I know you're a quarterback guy, Coach. Uh, what do you see from him? Again, I like it. We always wondered what they were going to do once Alonzo Barnett graduated. Ryan Stevens is next up. You know, see a good little lefty. We don't see a lot of lefties anymore, but look at the great opposite hash throw off of the comeback route there. We see that he has the speed to get missing if he, if he has to. Again, Northwest Guilford, had, you know, pretty quality opponent. Grimsley showed why they're the cream of the crop in the 4A Fight Club this year, and we see that Ryan Stevens is one of the guys that they're going to have to pay attention to. Love his ability to run and kind of get out of the pocket and extend the play. That dual rushing and pass threat, look at that, staying in the pocket, though. He doesn't get out of the pocket unless he has to. Stayed in there, took the heat, delivered a strike to his receiver. So excited to see him, and we see a great reason why Grimsley is trying to head for some big-time football here in 4A playoffs. Yeah, 10 of 12 passing, that's a great high efficiency. I don't care what league you're in, that is big-time football. Uh, there's a reason he got to call this week. Uh, let's go to Salisbury High School and talk about a guy who set a school record. Uh, Jamaica Wells became the first uh, player in history to score six touchdowns in a game. Uh, went 15 
carries 242 yards and a 55-7 win over West Davidson. Hey, we're talking about a Salisbury school that had guys like Romar Morris, who played in the NFL, played for Carolina. I mean, that's a big-time school record to break. Definitely. When you've got a school, like you said, that has the caliber of players that they've had, anytime you're setting school records at a place like that, we got to give you the call there. Again, 15 times, 242 and six touchdowns in the game. Hey, Coach Trevette knows that you've got to beat the guys around you. 55-7 to seven win over Wes Davidson. I think he's establishing that, hey, we're going to keep this thing rolling here. And I think we're starting to see that, Coach. A lot of new, you know, a lot of old faces that we know as coaches, new places. They're leaning on some of their big talent there to really establish what they're trying to do and make things big in their area. Yeah, and hey, we've talked enough about offensive football. Let's talk about some defensive guys. Let's talk about some dogs. And this dog yeah. is more of a husky than a dog. But uh, Anthony Walker, Huff High School, had a massive game, 10 tackles, three for loss, fumble recovery in Friday, 16-7 victory over the nationally ranked Chambers uh, Cougars. Man, and look, he's so big. He got the call. We're going to bring him here on the stage, Coach. Oh, got to bring him again. He's you know, a guy that we faced earlier in the year, was dominant in that performance as well. And we've got to show some of his highlights. Again, big-time game. Anthony, can you talk about going into this game? You know you're dealing with a mobile quarterback such as you know, Anshon Bubba Camp. Can you talk about that mentality as you guys prepare for this game and what you plan to do? Yeah, we know he likes to run. So we just wanted to take that away from him early in the game, sending pressures. Um, yeah, just, just taking that away from him so he can't throw the ball on the run. So. Oh, agreed. And, and again, you know, that's one of the things I've told Langston and Grew earlier this year. I think, you know, you guys being young on the defensive end, I've thought this, you know, Coach Chachi Sullivan, the defensive coordinator, this has been one of his, you know, kind of finest works. And I think he's leaned on some young talent like you and, you know, some of the other guys we've talked about, Samari Matthews in the secondary um, and things of that nature. So, you know, can you talk about, again, a lot of the hype in this game was can you guys slow down the offense? I think you guys did a good job. I mean, what do you think were additional keys that helped you guys to really make sure that you can put the clamps on that explosive offense? Uh, just, just film study and the way we prepare. I feel like the way we prepare, like I said in an interview last night, well, it was Friday night, the way we prepare, I feel like it's the best in the nation. So I feel like our film study, as the coaches' film study, our film study, I'm saying we'll watch film as a team. I just feel like the way we break it down is, is the best ever. So. Hey, Anthony, uh, we, we've started to see uh, upwards of two games every year seem to be played between uh, Huff and Chambers. I mean, this has kind of become a staple to see a big-time game during the regular season. Last year it was in Memorial Stadium, and then again in the playoffs. Uh, you talked about film study. I know that Coach Jenkins has got you guys looking at the right things and doing the right things on the field. Uh, but what is a game like this at a stadium like at Chambers? The crowd was electric, a big atmosphere. How does a game like that maybe prepare you guys uh, for a playoff game against them? And, and, and again, maybe before an even hostile or more rowdier crowd in November, December? Uh, well, like you said, they have a great environment, so it prepares us for that. Um, they're a great team. They're a great football team. So the way the way they play prepares us for way more competition. Um, I just feel like I just feel like they're they're preparing us to dominate. So we had a good game this one. Uh, the next we're on to the next. I believe it's West Mac. Now uh, we got to prepare for that just as we did this one. For and, sure. And you're about to Sorry. Go, go ahead. Go ahead, coach. Yeah, I just want to talk about that, you know, going going forward again. You've got, you know, big win here. You've got Mallet Creek, you know, down kind of in the horizon, then coming off a bye uh, when they play you guys. What are you looking forward to the rest of the year? And, again, we knew last year you almost got there. You lost to the regional championship. How far can this team go? Uh, Coach Jenkins has been putting emphasis on finishing. That's what, that's just what we have to do. Uh, we're just looking forward to keep dominating. So uh, so we got we got to finish. We didn't we didn't get to do that last year. So that's just what we've been putting emphasis on. And that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. So.
Anthony, I appreciate you getting on here with us in Grice's gyms. Uh, Coach Grice calls it the 4A Fight Club for a reason, and you see it. You know, there's no weeks off in this conference that you guys are in. Uh, so get ready for the year, prepare for each team, and uh, we look forward to having you on again. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. Absolutely. Coach Grice, again, uh, you are picking some good ones. That phone keeps ringing, and here we are. Oh, great. You know how it goes. Hey, guys, if you think you had a great performance on Friday night, you know, feel, feel free to DM me at Coach Jay Grice, DM at Observer Preps, DM at Langston Wirtz Jr. Let us know. As we always say, if you ball, you're going to get the call. To protect the integrity of the sport and further promote optimized safety of student athletes, it's time to eliminate the eight-quarter rule beginning in conference play. I'm sick and tired of the way the eight-quarter rule is being abused by too many schools who do not need to be moving up players on eight-quarter circumstances because they already have enough student athletes to fill separate JV and varsity teams. Now, as for the teams who use the eight-quarter rule legitimately, the non-conference season five, six games, whatever it is usually, or four games in some cases, is enough time to figure out exactly where you are numbers-wise. And at that point, prior to conference play, make a decision that you're going to go varsity only or you're going to go JV only in the name of safety and move those kids accordingly, considering the numbers you have, the ages of your players, and those details whatsoever. The eight-quarter rule has turned into a farce because of how it's been misused, and I'm sick and tired of seeing schools that are misusing it all the way around. The conference season, by that point, enough time has passed to figure out if you need to go varsity only or JV only, you get it done in the name of safety. Down with the eight-quarter rule. Alex, I agree with you, but I'm going to take a one step forward. Uh, let's not just talk about conference play. Uh, let's either eliminate it all the way or eliminate it with some very, very close stipulations, maybe 1A, uh, maybe some hardships there that maybe have to be approved. I don't know. I don't want to get in the weeds with that. Uh, but we have seen schools abuse this eight-quarter rule since the inception uh, back around, I think it was 2002, 2003. I remember coaching when it came out. We thought it was a big deal, but it turned out to be a joke. We have seen schools that have had to forfeit entire seasons. We have had a number one ranked 3A school uh, back about seven, eight years ago, uh, who would have been 10, 11 and 0, who had to forfeit the entire season. They were using the eight quarter rule. Oh, hey, let's 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 say this. They were using the eight quarter rule to play juniors on JVs to make sure they were dominating on Thursdays as well. So I agree with you, Alex. The eight quarter rule is a farce, and I think it needs to be completely overhauled or, or even better. Let's just get rid of it. You guys sound like rich people talking to poor people, telling them if they just save more money, they'll be rich. Like, it, again, you're talking for a lot of these schools. You, you keep giving me number one and all these top teams. What about some of these smaller schools? We talked about post-COVID, how people were struggling with numbers. which That hasn't gone away. You have so many more schools that don't have than have, and you're in situations where you've got programs that, to, in order to play games on Thursday night, and make sure they have enough depth on Friday. They've got to make sure that they have enough players. They've got to use this eight-quarter rule. For varsity, when I was at Hopewell, we had six offensive linemen 
that were exclusively varsity. So we had one guy go down. We had basically had nobody to help support. So with this eight-quarter rule, we just moved two guys. Just just having some sort of depth that we wouldn't have in a normal program, the eight-quarter rule allowed for us to do that. It's not necessarily that we needed these guys to play multiple plays or that we were trying to be dominant. But like I was at Hopewell and like a lot more programs are, we're just using this to survive. And for you guys doing this, sure, for these bigger programs, it might be good not to use. But for a lot of programs out here just trying to make it work, you're crippling them in an order of just looking at the at the at what's helping the better programs. Totally agree with Grice. Uh, I think it's you know offensive lineman that situation is 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 relevant, but I think more than anything is quarterbacks. Um, if you only have one quarterback and one goes down, and you need that extra guy to bring up just in case, because that's the one position that you can't just throw somebody in who's never played it before. You know, you can move a guard to tackle or tackle to guard or inside linebacker, outside linebacker, corner to safety, vice versa. But quarterbacks need to be able to be eligible for the eight-quarter rule. Oh, <laughs> didn't know you were coming to me. Yeah, I I like the eight-quarter rule. I do believe that any of the issues that involve um, bad apples, uh, people abusing it, that's because we let it get where we don't police it. We don't have the right procedures in place, the right uh, uh, policing, just period. And I've, I've seen it abused myself, but I believe that there's too much value in it. And uh, Gary just hit the nail on the head. The teams that don't have a backup quarterback, that's a great uh, position for it. And instead of moving that kid up to varsity, you're potentially killing his potential to develop by playing JV time. And that's the reason of the four-quarter rule. Let him play there. And then if he's needed on varsity, he's able to be brought in and be played. Police it better. That's what needs to happen. All right. Well, we're going to leave it there. I think that's an interesting discussion. Chris even thinks we should go to eight-man football in the one-day class and have a, a full-out bracket. That that could be interesting too. Um, Sam isn't here tonight, but uh, he wanted he's been wanting to do this thing called Frontline Warrior for some time now. He doesn't think Lyman. He played Lyman when he was playing. He he doesn't think Lyman get enough uh, publicity, and I, I do agree with him. And so mm -hmm. we're going to do a, a Frontline Warrior every week. And if you want, if you're out somewhere in North Carolina, that you don't have to be in Charlotte. You could be anywhere: Raleigh, Durham, Fayetteville. Uh, what do you always say, Guru Maniota? Murphy and Manio. Anywhere in the state of North Carolina, uh, you can be on uh, Frontline Warrior. So for week one, he sat down with uh, Providence Day. Let me find him before I try to. Oh, this is a warrior here. <laughs> he sat down with Providence Day's Tyson Warriors. Pretty cool. Here we go. I know who's. Wrong. Guess. That's my fault. My fault. It's live TV. I did it twice. I apologize, y'all. This is it. Right, too. I promise. This is it. This is it. Super excited to welcome Tyson Moore uh, from Providence Day. Come on in here, Providence Day, Tyson Moore. This is going to be a new segment we're going to do every week. This is going to be my favorite segment. It's going to be the Frontline Warrior. Guys that don't get enough attention, 
uh, the guys that really win football games. And this guy did an amazing job past game. Talk a little bit about it, Tyson. Uh, we just had a great game plan going into the game Friday night. Uh, we practiced all week on our jobs and our assignments. And we just made sure we were all ready to play as a group. Yeah. I mean, you guys did phenomenal job. Grading out at 96%. I mean, the grade out at 96% as an offensive lineman, you have to play literally a perfect game. And it looks like you did that. And we got a lot of your run blocking uh, highlights on here. You know, I know you're great at pass blocking as well, but I love being able to see offensive linemen move people against their own will. There's something about that. That's what speaks football. And that's exactly what you're providing to your team. I mean, you're, there's, I think this play right here is where you drive this guy probably like 15 yards and just take him for a ride. Look at this. Literally just keep right, keep going. If the whistle doesn't blow, you would have took him to the stands. That right there is what Frontline Warrior represents. And uh, that's an amazing job. You do a lot of that, you're going to have plenty and plenty of offers to go. How big are you, Tyson? I am 6'3", and I am 275 right now. That's, an, that's a really, really big offensive guard. And it uh, looks like you're really strong in the weight room. What are you power cleaning right now? I'm power cleaning uh, 290, 300. Are you serious? So – you know, does Chad Greer really, really lift with his team? That's what we need to know. Uh, yes, he does. Is he a beast, or is he kind of like in the in the weak man's group? I mean, I usually see him bench a lot. He don't do much with the <laughs> He does the pretty boy lift still, but the yeah. cleans, he, he kind of shies away and just yells at everybody during that time? Uh, yeah, mainly. I, hey, I love it, though. His intensity is it speaks volumes. I know that he loves when he sees you guys on the front line doing the job that you're doing. But I just really appreciate what you're providing for your team because you don't get picked up on the highlights. Whenever they start talking about the end of the day, this guy had six catches for 120 yards and two touchies. You know, you do the dirty work inside, but this is what wins football games. Frontline Warriors, and I appreciate your time, Tyson. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. All right, I think that's really cool because Lyman don't get enough love. So we're going to do it every week. Again, if, if you're anywhere in North Carolina uh, and you think you should be featured on Frontline Warrior, DM Charlotte Preps on Twitter or Instagram, and uh, hopefully we'll meet you on real soon with Sam. Uh, and hopefully that can be, you know, one of the staples of our show, just like uh, Fresh Faces has become one of the staples of our show. Now it's they time. Got they got blocked somebody like he was Notre Dame blocking he, Carolina. Sir. He is a beast. He is a true beast on the field. He's he's really good. <laughs> he is very, very good. All right, Grash, you get your water during the break. Oh, we got it right here, baby. Ready to go, ready to work. All right, it's time to find out who Grice is ranked as the uh, top 16 guys in this in the countdown for the North Carolina player of the year. All right, we're going to start here on the bubble. So you'll see some familiar names here. Uh, Tyreek Samuel out of Eastern Alamance remained on the bubble here. Zarian Jackson-Bass, the defensive end from Chambers. Again, big-time performance uh, by that defense against Huff. You know, he's kind of climbing up here on the bubble as a guy that we're getting close to the consideration in that top 16. Uh, Chris Culver from Maiden. Again, another guy that, you know, reached out to us, made sure that we were aware that he's Hey, wait, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Chris. I want you in there. I just don't have enough pull. It's not me, man. 
And it's not that, again, Chris Culliver, again, 25 catches, 654 yards, nine touchdowns. You know, also has, you know, four interceptions on the defensive side. He's very close. Again, a guy that we know and we consider. But as we look at the top 16, we'll point out some guys that are having big-time years to start out. Um, also, finally, Logan Wright from Dudley. Uh, sorry, Miss Noah Rogers there from Rollsville having a big-time year uh, on a bye week, I think, this past week. But, you yeah. know, again, 11 catches, 307 yards, and six touchdowns. You know, not shabby. We know he's a big-time guy. I think with the issues with some of these guys, and we're seeing it, is that you know it's a production from the fact that either they're on really good teams and not getting a full four quarters, or they've had you had some guys that also had some injuries, as you don't see, you know, Casey Conception, who's around here, but uh, other names that we we're in consideration. I mean, you know, the AJ Sirianni kid from uh, yeah. School of Davidson, eight touchdowns the other week, crazy, yeah. yeah. So, you know, we got a lot of guys that, that were there. Again, Bubba Camp, we know, is, is right around there as well. Uh, Will Maudlin, the Bartlett Yancey quarterback, along with Jalen Neal, his you know receiver. You've got some guys that are just you know, really putting some numbers up, but I, I don't think there's enough yet to crack into this top 16, which we have some really good talent. Like I tell people, if we put out a top 50 at North Carolina, I mean, you'd see some amazing names that I yeah. think that are going to go on and play Saturdays. Maybe you'll even see some of them on Sundays. Absolutely. Before I put up that list, I want to give a shout-out to a guy who has been on the list earlier this year, Christian Hamilton of Hickory Ridge. Uh, he got he's going to get his All American jersey tomorrow. He's playing. He's going to play in the National All American game, the one on NBC. He's played down in San Antonio, so that's a, a big deal for Chris. Congratulations uh, to that's you. Kudos, kudos. And that's the thing. Even with a kid like that, I mean, I think some of that is, has been production. But he's still, you know, watching film of him. He still has that kid up and go burst. I've been watching him a little bit uh, this week as we prepare for Al Brown in that game. He's you know explosive. So kudos. To yeah, we got a new number one here, Grace. I'm sorry. We got a new number one here. We have a new number one, and that's Jalen Alexander Rayner out of East Forsyth, the Arkansas State commit. Again, had a big game, over 500 yards of total offense. Um, you know, last week, it just really vaulted him up to the top. You know, we had Mason Fortune on a bye week. You know, really didn't. You know, of course, no change there with him. Uh, Daylon Lee, of course, had a big week last week as Shelby is going, of course, into their their dominant conference play. Uh, I think he had over 200 yards with four touchdowns. Jaden Davis the same. I mean, again, I think we're QB heavy, but these are some QBs that are providing some great performances. And honestly, if you look at Jalen Alexander Rayner, he to me is like a Lamar Jackson do it all running yeah. back. Heck, if they had someone to throw him the ball, you could, you know, he could be that guy to, to throw the ball as well. Um, but getting into the five through ten, Color Adams is averaging 200 yards, uh, you know, per game. I mean, he's a guy that's putting up big numbers in the western part of the state. KJ Sampson from Newburn. Newburn was on a bye last week, but again, he's you know, with top in the state in sacks. I think at 12, a guy that's really wreaking havoc on those teams. You know, they talk about they haven't played a lot of guys. They beat the Mari Commodores out of Virginia. I think that's the top five team. People were kind of comparing them. It's like a Highland Springs level, you know, quality team up there. So Newburn is. A pretty, you know, a pretty good opponent that, or a pretty good team in that four-way fight club. KJ is one of the reasons there on that defensive line. Yeah, uh, got Folger Boaz. I mean, that guy's continuing to do great things. I think last week, you know, he had a big-time game. I think it was thirty of thirty-nine, maybe for over three hundred yards. Uh, get following the footsteps of his brother Jefferson Boaz. So. I think like you, put, you put a big target on the back of your former number one, Luke Bailey, last week. He had a tough there match. is a big target, and I think that's you know I think he you know really didn't have a ton of yards. We saw Butler kind of you know post that out as far as saying, hey, we we did a good job stopping him, and that's going to be something for them going forward. I think they've got a Mooresville team that you know hopefully he's able to to get some yards this week, but had a tough week and really you know you know was the, the reason for that precipitous drop down to number eight. Um, you go into nine, Nathan Leacock from Millbrook. Again, they had a, you know, 
you're preparing for this big week against Heritage. He's going to be a guy, one of the top receivers um, in the state. Big time performance from him is going to be needed. He has 840 yards and 13 touchdowns. So, again, I know Oliver was talking about his numbers, but we've got some guys with some insane production um, that are ahead of him. You know, you look at Tad Hudson. I think Tad's having one of his better years. He's even struggling with not really getting the chance to play four quarters or playing against extremely tough defenses as he had this past week. Um, you know, I, I think he could be higher. Black Bradley Brown here um, out of Lee County, one of these you know backs from the East that's emerging, 1,264 yards, 14 touchdowns, another guy averaging 200 yards a game, 8.6 yards per carry. Uh, Javaris Green, which we may talk about a little later, 751 yards, 12 touchdowns, averaging 150 per game. Um, and then you look at some of the names that we've seen that are familiar here rounding out as far as uh, David Hobbs from Robinson, the beast of a D-line, one of the top recruits in the state. Marquise McCombs, who had video game numbers last year, still putting up some yards, but chases 5-0 and and really shutting people down. So his production, I think, is hampered by their success. Uh, Jamal Jarrett out of Grimsley, I think, following in the, the steps of Travis Shaw as a dominant defensive lineman for one of the best teams in 4A. And finally, stepping up into, into our top 16, Zay Bridges out of Shelby, one of Daly's favorite targets. Again, a do-it-all guy. You talk about a guy with 659 yards, 12 touchdowns, 300 or so yards kick returning, even at, you know adding a, a, hundred, a hundred yards or so with punt return. So one of the Swiss Army Knife do-it-all guys that we know is one of the, the better guys that has been so for a few years now creeping into this top 16. So we've got a list chock full of talent. You know, I think that these next few weeks as we get into some big-time games, it's really going to shake up our top 16. But no, I'm not going to be 16 for too long, Gracie. you got to start oh. that thing down. That's that's where it's going to be really tough. I mean, we can't keep 16 out here, sir. You got to start. I, I know, I know. A few weeks we got to get it down to eight. All right, all right. We're going to cut it down. There you go. You heard we're going to cut it down a couple weeks. All right, Chelsea's not here, but she did get a chance to sit down with the Ardrey Kells, Joshua Clemens. Joshua wants to get his pilot's license, and he also is talking about the big game coming up on Thursday night with arch rival Ardrey Kell, which should draw a little bit of a crowd over to my. Uh, my <laughs> This week, I'm interviewing class of 2023 football player from Audrey Kell High School, Joshua Clemens. So, Josh, last Friday, you guys kicked off your first conference game against Palisades. You guys went 48-0. Kind of give us a recap about that game and your performance also. Um, on defense, our linebackers and um, D-line just made it easy for the secondary. Um, me, personally, I had... When they threw the ball, I had two pass deflections and a couple of tackles, and we just played great as a unit on offense. Our O-line just did a great job um, blocking for on run plays and pass plays. Our running backs did a great job running the ball, and our quarterbacks and receivers did a great job in the pass game. And on special teams, our kickers did a good job kicking, and we did a great job um, covering on kicks and returning kicks. And our coaches had a great game plan. For sure. Great win. And looking on to next Friday against Myers Park, what's the expectation for that game and how have you guys been preparing for it? Yes, Myers Park is a um, great team. They have a great coaching staff and they historically have a great team. And this year they have a great team. But um, we just have to stay focused every single week. We just have to prepare like we've been preparing. Um, we just have to have a great week of practice and we have to study film. And we just got to trust our coaches' game plan and just have a great week of preparation um, for this week. 
and I expect it to be a um, tough and physical game, and it'll be just a good SOMEC 7 game. Absolutely. And Joshua, last season, Audrey Kell finished first in the conference. Can we expect the same this season? And how are you guys pushing towards that? Yes, uh, conference championship is definitely one of our goals, um, along with the state championship. Um, to achieve both of those, we just have to, we just have to stay focused, um, go 1-0 every single week, and we just have to stay focused on the task at hand. Um, with hard work, we can go anywhere. We have a lot of talent on this team, and we can achieve a lot. Um, we have great coaches, and we just have a great team overall. We just have to stay focused week in and week out if we want to achieve those big goals. For sure. And Joshua, this is your senior year with Audrey Kell. Tell us about the leadership role you picked up with the team. Yeah, I've definitely tried to become more vocal this year. Um, I've we had we have had some great leaders when I was an underclassman. And I've just tried to pick up tactics that they used. Um, like Cedric Gray was a great leader when I was a freshman. But um, I try to attend all the JV games and just support those guys because they'll be our future varsity players in a couple of years. Um, this past week, we had this thing called the Future Nights when um, elementary schoolers come and they come to our practice and watch our games. And when I was a Future Night, I looked up to the varsity players and I just want to be a good role model for those guys. And I just want to be a um, great locker room presence and a great teammate. Absolutely. And speaking of leadership, one thing I saw on your Twitter bio was that you're a National Honor Society member and also your academics. So kind of tell us about the balance between being a student athlete on the field and then in the classroom. Yes, um, academics are very important to me. I just, I like to stay balanced because it just helps me, keep, it keeps me focused. And I just like being balanced. And outside of academics, um, this summer and this fall, I've had an opportunity to fly. And I've always wanted to be a pilot since I was a little kid. And I've had an opportunity to work towards a private pilot's license, which will allow me to legally fly by myself. So outside of that, I've just been pursuing that when I'm not playing football or in the classroom. I love that. And finally, do you have some unfinished goals for yourself this senior year? And if so, how are you preparing for them? Yes, personally, I just want to be the best teammate and just the best player that I can be. I just want to give it my all every single game. Um, senior year, I only have five more guaranteed games. And I just want to give it my all because you never know. I just play every game like it's my last one. And I, um, as a team, we just want to go 1-0 every single week. And we want to end goal as a state championship and another personal goal is I just want to be um, named to all conference and all state and yes absolutely well best of luck your senior year and again this Friday against Myers Park thank you so much for hopping on Chris Chelsea's getting so good man. she is I was just making a comment you know I had worked with her beginning two years ago over with Dina King and all the guys at NC Preps and to see what she did with us last year and today uh, now that she's a senior I mean, she lacks so much confidence in the days, but she is nothing but confidence now. She has done a great job, and I, I see a bright future for that young lady and whatever it is she pursues. Yeah, she has really come on. If you want to get on Chelsea's world, you can just DM Chelsea Simple on Instagram and Twitter. Jalen Rayner, we are looking at you, but we got to get you on. I heard you watch the show, so we got to get you on with Chelsea. Uh, hopefully next week get you on because you're number one in Mr. Football right now. So the season stopped right now. We'd be coming to see you and giving you the award. 
Um, let me see. What, where am I at on my, my thing? We're on uh, Alex's Big Ten Games. Alex, you ready? Absolutely. Let me find, let me find your theme music. That's right. <clears throat> I, you know, I've been bad today on my theme music. I got to find it. Alex Rankin. Way off. I did the wrong thing. I I, I was doing uh, games and I played rankings. Hey, don't worry. I'll get you right back on because I'm fired up for this one. I've been fired. I've been fired up all let's, show. By the way, let's, let's do rankings since I just since I just introduced that. Here you go. Let's, let's do go it. Rankings. Let's do rankings right now. There you go. All right. Um, for all these rankings, and I'll say this once: this applies to all the rankings. There were a lot of conferences that had buys last week, so we don't see a whole lot of movement. This 1A, Tarboro just continuing on. Robbinsville getting ready for its uh, big run of mountain showcase games over the next few weeks with Swain and Murphy coming up. But pretty much the status quo here. Uh, Christ the King jumps in at 5-0. and So um, we'll go from there. But, yeah, not a whole lot of turnover here. All right. Like that correct. That Christ the King team, uh, they got that big game against Pine Lake Prep this week. Right. Uh, they've got a couple young men on there that I've been looking at, some juniors that may need to pop into our fresh faces. That's going to be a big challenge for them. That may be the biggest game in their, their existence in their young yeah. two or three year wow. existence. Wow. Coach Potter. All right, Alex, two-way. All right, same thing. We talked about Folger Boaz a little earlier. Again, bye week for a lot of schools, not a whole lot of turnover. East Surrey, Reedsville, Wallace, Rose Hill, and it burns with that Cleveland County fight. I, I, I say I say this every week, but Shelby's three and three now. They're not underwater anymore. I'm just no, saying. They're, well, they're not. They're, they're not underwater anymore, but they're not over the top yet. We we all know what Shelby. Uh, I, I'll bet you lunch in December they'd be somewhere. Oh, Shelby, oh, Shelby, oh, Shelby. Oh, Shelby, 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 um, but uh, here's, here's, they won't be home in December. That's what I'm trying to know. That <laughs> All right, it, it's going to play out. We know that. Yeah, Alex. Here we go. Uh, same type of thing here. A lot of buys. Uh, Kings Mountain just continuing on with that Cleveland County Fight Club. Uh, looking forward to uh, South Point and that big game with Crest uh, this week. We'll talk about that a little later. But uh, the buys, once again, not a whole lot of turnover. All right. Don't sleep on Northern Nash. They are top three good. I'm telling you. No, they're not. Uh, no, nobody, nobody, no, no, nobody is, is going to either somebody's coming out of Cleveland County or South Point there or, or, or Dudley before it plays out in the end. Uh, Northern Nash is not that level. And, yeah, I said it. So if Northern Nash wants to use that as bulletin board material, go ahead. They will. They will. Clip this, clip this segment for December. Uh, yeah, we will definitely do that. 4A, Fight Club, what we got? Huff moving yeah. up, I see. Same thing, uh, East Forsyth with the big showdown with Mount Tabor this week. That'll be very good. We talked about Grimsley earlier in the uh, show. Huff with the big win last week. Uh, Newburn continues rolling after that big win at Havelock a week ago. Cleveland still undefeated, even with uh, Hampton and Locklear having moved on. I mean, really just showing the that depth of that program the there. The year consideration from Cleveland. He's doing a really good job. Uh, Scott uh, Scott Riley, yes. Uh, Scott Riley is a Cardinal Gibbons graduate, by the way. Um, oh, here we go. But uh, <laughs> go ahead and say the name. Let's just get it in. You got to say it every week. Just go ahead, work it in, work it in. What? 
work that name in. Go ahead. <laughs> hey, you Number were seven. the one who you were the one who drew up the script for tonight. <laughs> you, you Drew's defense is number seven. You were the one who drew up the script for tonight, well, not we me. Got, we, got, we got to say it every week. Nick Drew's defense is coming in at number seven. All uh, right. Uh, yeah, yes, uh, and, and yes, just one, once again, uh, uh, what will be interesting for a lot of these teams, Cardinal Gibbons included, is with conference play getting in swing and we see a number of schools who have favorable matchups after tough non-conference schedules and see how they do if they coast through conference play and then have to ratchet it back up at the end. A number of schools are going to be in that situation. We'll see how it goes. Always a tough situation. Let's talk about the Big Ten games in the state, Alex, real quick. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd like to begin by saying I'd like to call on all the DJ McFadden haters once again <laughs> that we talked about earlier in the show that these yeah. are the same these are the same haters who have gone into hiding this week because the Charlotte Mecklenburg school schedule this week has been rendered insignificant, irrelevant and obsolete with respect to the rest of the state. You realize that this week's Charlotte Mecklenburg schedule, frankly, is the worst single week schedule we've seen from CMS in more than 10 years. Now, we'll go wow. ahead and we'll, we'll go ahead and acknowledge Olympic and Palisades since the Olympic coach called out Palisades last week on the show. So uh, we'll, we'll acknowledge that because of the historical significance of it. But other than that, notice you don't see a single CMS game on this I, schedule because the not. CMS schedule this week is a joke. Okay, so that being said, okay, okay, all right. Tell me about East Forsyth and Mount Tabor. Let's talk about a couple of these games up there before we turn Grice loose. Uh, East Forsyth and Mount Tabor. You're talking about programs that have either played for and won state championships in the last three years in the four and three a classification. An intra-county rivalry always very fun there. Uh, that Hoke and Richmond game is in there primarily. Hoke had its most compelling win in recent memory a couple of weeks ago versus Scotland. So just mm. the chance to go Scotland and Richmond, that's, I mean, that's something to pay attention to right man. there. Uh, Northeastern and Hertford County, that's Northeastern North Carolina at its finest up toward the Outer Banks and the coast. Mm. A good region one battle right there. I talked about Robbinsville and Swain. Anytime Robbinsville gets together with Swain or Murphy, that's, that's, all, that's always a big deal yeah. right there. Uh, 71st and Cape Fear down in Cumberland County. Two programs which generally find themselves in the mix at the right times. The same thing we see with Asheville and AC Reynolds, longtime rivals playing at the 4A level now. Olympic and Palisades, very much a historic matchup because of uh, the role that Palisades played uh, in uh, transforming the Olympic program just from a numbers perspective. Uh, Wake Forest and Nightdale, that's the second northern Athletic Conference 4A game, along with Heritage and Millbrook, which we'll talk about in a little while. Just solid competition right there. But we got those two games to talk about. Olympics program was not transformed because of Palisades. So Palisades got nobody, no varsity players from Olympic. But then again, the program still was transformed because of the depth impact that it had. No, we it didn't have depth impact either. A program is transformed, no. not necessarily in the first two years. Of we, need to have, we need to have like but a in years every week. Three, uh, five, the significance of this game 
is it's the first battle of Steel Creek. Yes, so so it needs a trophy. It's got to have a trophy. It needs a trophy, and Olympics going to win the trophy. Come on, Dale, we got to put you on that, Dale. Yeah, right. yeah hey, I, I wouldn't bring a, I wouldn't bring another trophy into a game. We had a trophy in a game last week, and a school got robbed. So, well, I, well, no, 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 here we, we got cheated. Here we go. Here we go. All right, it's time. It's time for the very best color analyst in North Carolina to do his thing. Greg's going to break down the East and West North Carolina game. All right, Grice, I had a mother call me from uh, uh, Burlington and said that I'm Western biased because I always start out this segment with the Western team last. So we're going to do the Western team first. Tell me why South Point is going to be Chris. First off, we had to choose this game. Again, is this one of the best games around here? Again, two top 10 3A teams. We chose it last year and got an overtime thriller with the battle of uh, Mari Adams and of Mari Adams and A.J. Riley. This one's going to look a little different this year, but not from the South Point end. South Point's going to win if they do what they do. I mean, they run the football. The new face, you know, enter-in Cam Medlock, averages 130 yards per game. And now you have freshman quarterback Patrick Blee, who steps in the role that Cam Medlock actually held last year. He's averaging 90 yards per game. So, again, we know South Point's going to run that wing-based offense, keep the ball on the ground, and only throw in case of emergency in third and 75. So, again, if they don't get in third in Charlotte down there in Belmont, they're going to run that ball and do what they do. Um, you know, the second piece here, you know, if they pass the test, pass the test, of course, you know, that pun there with another pass forward team and stifle green in this crest offense. You know, they handled Stuart Kramer's Justin Rokemore was one of the best quarterbacks, of course, in that area, handled them well, picked them off. Micah Stowe and Jaquise Rump both had interceptions. They'll need to have that same type of production and get those same type of turnovers against another pass first offense to make sure that they do well. And finally, we got to control the clock. We know Crest is, you know, in their game with Shelby was a, it was a great example of that. If they get the ball and they get enough time, they're going to put up big points. And the biggest kryptonite for a run-first offense is to have to, to play from behind and score very quickly. South Point is at their best when they can slowly matriculate the ball down the field, control that clock, and make sure that they're always ahead. Matriculate down the field. Tell me why Crest is going to win. I mean, it's pretty simple. You know, Natavius Husky's got to get the ball to Javarius Green. You've seen him already on our, on our Mr. Football list, on our Sweet 16. He's up there for a reason. He's one of the best receivers in this state. And he's a guy getting at about 5'10", 190 pounds, so a big enough body, and he accounts for over 50% of the team's receiving yards. So they, Husky's been getting the ball to Green all, all year so far. It shouldn't change in this game. And to be successful, they've got to get that ball to him. Um, they got to improve on defense. I mean, they've been giving up almost 30 points per game, almost gave up 600 yards versus Shelby. Um, you, luckily, they were able to, to get, you know, get out of that game with a win. If you give up this many yards against a run-first offense, you're not going to touch the ball enough to win this game. So it's going to be a situation where Cole Crocker and Desmond Porter, the two leaders of that defense that are tackling machines for them, have to step up and stop the run. There's nothing else that matters here but stopping that run or at least slowing it down and putting them in third and long situations to force them to do something that they're not comfortable with with just throwing the football. And finally, hey, the sporting, supporting cast on offense will need to make a big play. 
Uh, so we know South Point's a good team. They're going to be a good defense. <clears throat> All eyes are going to be on Javarius Green. Someone on offense is going to have to make a big play. We're looking at you, Malachi Addison, Brandon McCall, two other receivers, big play receivers with high high yards per uh, yards per catch. They're going to be needed whenever you've got everybody and all the attention on green, that they're going to be needed in that one-on-one situation to come down with the big-time catch. All right, let's go up I-85 and tell me why Millbrook's going to win their big game. There's no question. This is the best game in the state this week. I, I have a Western game on here. If I only had to have one, it would have been Heritage and Millbrook. No disrespect to South Point and Crest. I'm excited for this game. Again, Millbrook in this situation will make it two in a row if that Fortune Leacock connection continues to, to thrive. Like we talk about with Husky and Green, Fortune has a guy, Nathan Leacock, who also both of these guys are on our Sweet 16 Mr. Football list. They're two guys that they have to be able to have a big-time game here against another potent offense in order for them to be successful. Um, second, they've got to force Heritage to be one-dimensional. You know, it, and that's saying something even with Lex Thomas, with the NC State community quarterback. Heritage at their best when, they, when they're doing well. They want to run that football. They want to get, you know, chew up the clock and then use Lex Thomas to get big chunks in the air. So if we can force Heritage to be in pass-first you know, pass situations, force them to throw the ball a lot, that's something that they don't do a lot. And while they may be successful, I think it's something that will help them or help Millbrook to be able to make big plays on defense. And then finally for them, they've got to stay in the moment. I mean, you've got so many things, um, you know, they get distracted by avenging last year's loss. You know, looking at the Fortune versus Thomas battle, we hope, you know, Mason doesn't come in here trying to prove himself against another top quarterback in the city. Or even for Millbrook looking ahead to that big-time Roseville matchup. They've got a lot of things going on, a lot of pieces here that are, you know, swirling around. If they stay in the moment in this big-time matchup, which is tough to do in a tough conference, they're able to do that, they're going to win this football game. All right, let me uh... – Pull up my other one. You can flip it for me. Yep. Heritage wins this football game. Again, if QB Lex Thomas, similar to what I said last week, if he has the best performance in this game. Again, he has running backs. He has guys that will help him on the, you know, on the ground. But he's got to use his legs to, to, to you know, to, to make plays when things break down, but also get the ball to big play receiver Tavares Carter whenever he gets that chance. So he's going to need to be the best quarterback in this game, which is going to be tough because we've seen an excellent season from Mason Fortune. Lex has got to show why he's going to NC State. Uh, the second piece here, they've got to establish that ground game to keep the Millbrook offense off the field. I think in the Broughton game, they ran for over 300 yards. That duo of Colson Fields and Jacob Lambert, they get big runs. They're able to turn those and take those five-yard gains and get some yards after contact to keep those chains moving. That will keep that ball away from the talented Millbrook offense. That will force you know the the, the Millbrook offense to really operate a little you know, a little faster, maybe do a little more than they than they have to, and maybe force some turnovers there. So keep that ground game going. Do what Heritage wants to do to be successful. And then finally, the defense has to avoid giving up big plays. Uh, they gave up 270 yards rushing in the South Granville game. They've got to avoid that against another big play offense. And while Millbrook hasn't you know, really run the ball or established a run like that, we do know if they let Nathan Leacock get, get explosive or get an opportunity to make a play, he's going to make a play, and Millbrook is going to put some points on the board. So the defense has got to avoid the, giving up the big play for them to be successful in this game. All right. Chris, you had thought. Hey, I just want to know, I didn't have anything on Grice's games. I mean, Grice is so thorough with those. I mean, he broke them down so great. And this is a little bit off the script, but I know we haven't been given the, you know, the private schools quite the love, but I did want to throw it out there. that I think one of the most compelling games in the state this week is Charlie Christian. You know, they're 4-1 and heading over to Georgia to play Raven Gap and Coochie. You know, Raven Gap, they, you know, they're 4-2, and two, but they've played a powerhouse schedule, played Baylor High School over there in Chattanooga. In, uh, 
Chattanooga. Uh, Trey Horn's one of the best football players I've seen just for, for Raven Gap. And then Kyron Jones, the running back for Christian. Don't forget Jason Estep has dominated high school football in the private school ranks. And I just don't think they get a, enough credit. And I wanted to say something about that game this Friday because it's a big one. Yeah, that, that is uh, definitely going to be a big game. And Providence Day, Raven Gap, and Providence Day, Charlotte Christian is going to be three humongous private school games. We're probably going to see some type of replay in the playoffs, which is going to be one of the better playoff runs in all the state. Uh, once state we get champions there. coming from those. Hopefully three. Charlotte Christian isn't beset by too many distractions. Oh, here we go. Here we go. It's time for Fresh Faces. This is uh, Chris's favorite part of the show. Coach Christ, here we are again for Fresh Faces. You know, this is my favorite segment of the show where we highlight tomorrow's superstars today uh, here on Talking Preps. Uh, well, let's start here in Charlotte at Hickory Grove. Anthony Hawkins, uh, this young man is a sophomore, by the way, had 24 carries and a school record 323 yards. That's right, I didn't stutter, folks. 323 yards, four touchdowns, and a 35-20 to 20 victory over Northside. Uh, man, that is big time. That's the 21st all-time game in Mecklenburg County. We know the stars that have played in this county, Coach. What do we see? I mean, we see a guy that's just a dynamic player. You know, looks a touch undersized, but he runs hard. And I think you see just him bursting through tackles where it's a lot of guys that don't want to make a tackle against him. And he's taking full advantage of that by getting to the end zone. You know, we talk about that was 21st all-time in Mecklenburg County history. He's tying a name for you. That's He's tying Catholics Elijah Hood. Anytime you're in that category, I don't care who you're playing. You deserve to be a fresh face that we recognize. Again, he's not just doing it here. That was a big-time game. He's averaging 193 yards so far this year. And he's t- making sure he's taking care of business. So we're glad to highlight Anthony Hawkins. And he's a guy you guys need to know. I'm going to tell you what, Coach Christ, looking at those uniforms, the same school colors, everything. And, you know, I know today's players, it's not going to resonate with them. Uh, but I'm going to tell you what, it takes me back to like 1992 or three. He looks like oh, Jerome yeah. Bettis the way he gets behind <laughs> those guys and goes. He yeah, looks like good. the bus. So there you go. Yeah. Put that on Twitter, folks. Anthony Hawkins, the bus. The uh, bus. Hey, let's go to East Duplin High School. Cade Kennedy, uh, East Duplin. We know they're an Eastern power. Uh, 20 carries, 180 yards. Three touchdowns. Uh, that's a team that's won four straight games uh, on defense. The six foot one senior is averaging almost nine tackles a game, uh, uh, one and a half sacks a game. Uh, that's Coach Battle Holly football. You know, he's the son of the legendary Jack Holly. That's big oh, time yeah. football coach. Oh, it is. And I, I got to say, this kid's been, you know, he's been hitting me up every single week. Kid's been doing it every week. And I, you know, I'm glad to, that we we're able to highlight him as a fresh face. I love his aggressiveness on both sides of the ball. I mean, you know, again, averaging the eight tackles per game, he's averaging a, over a sack and a half, you know, during you know, each game. He's a guy that's going to get to the quarterback on the defensive side of the ball. His pursuit is relentless and unmatched. And I think it translates over to the offside, offensive side of the ball as he runs that ball with reckless abandon. And if you're going to tackle him, you're going to pay for it just as much as he's going to dish it out to you. And that's one of the all-time great stadiums in North Carolina. You're right there on top of the field. The fans are right there on top of the action. That's great football. Uh, talk about a school that used to have another big-time stadium that was like right on you. The fans were right on you at Maiden High School. And now they play in the posh uh, Tom Brown Stadium that's just a huge mecca of a field. Uh, but Wesley Thompson at Maiden, he's a transfer quarterback, by the way. Uh, Friday night in their 27-17 victory over, I think, previously undefeated West Lincoln. He was 20 of 26 passing, 310 yards, three touchdowns. You're a quarterback guru coach. So what do we see from him? 
Oh, he's got a great arm, and he's a transfer from Ash County. So knowing that he came up in an air raid system, we know he's a gunslinger that's going to get the ball. You know, we talk about all the time, big-time receiver uh, Chris Culver out of Maiden. You get good reason why he's continuing his his success. Quarterbacks want to play with guys like that. This one might be one of the best iterations they've had in a while, though. Yeah, I love the efficiency there, 20 of 26. He's a kid. Look at his stature. He's able to stand in the pocket, find his guy, and deliver that ball perfectly to a guy to make a big play. Again, that's Wesley Thompson, uh, the biggest little football town in America there, Maiden, North Carolina, Maiden. You got to love Coach Tom Brown, the late Tom Brown. He'd get on football Friday night and say, how about them Blue Devils? Uh, <laughs> great, great football town. Uh, all right, Coach, and finishing up, we're going to bring it right back here to the Queen City of Providence High School. Uh, Billy Wilt, uh, bad boy Billy, has 15 tackles, one sack in the game. And, boy, looking at the film right there, look at the circle right there. Uh, he, he gets downhill quick, nose for the ball. Let's see him get out of his break. Boom. Uh, what do you see about him, Coach? I love the block destruction. Again, as a, as an inside-the-box linebacker, you've got to defeat that fullback. You're playing Catholic. You've got to defeat that lead blocker and make the tackle. Love to see that from him. You're playing a team here. You're going to get a lot of chances to make some tackles and really register those numbers. And I love the fact that he's going to get a guy and eliminate any additional yardage once he gets contact with him. And look at him right there, coaching up his other linebackers and other defenders right there uh, pre-snap. I like him. Great vision, great nose for the football. Uh, anytime you got a player who can be a coach on the field and lead a team in tackles, I don't care what league it is, Pee-wee League, NFL, whatever, you get 15 tackles in one game. That's big time. Oh, big time. Well, no question about it, Guru. All right, again, this is why I love this segment, Fresh Faces. Uh, we're highlighting the Mars Stars today here on Talking Preps. Uh, if you are a fresh face, uh, how can they get in touch with us, Coach? Oh, you got to reach out at Observer Preps at Langston Worst Jr. Uh, feel free to reach out to me at Coach Jay Grice uh, at Guru Chris Hughes. Let us know if you're a fresh face and the world is to see you. I love this segment because we always show the best guys at the right time here on Talking Preps. All right, man. Uh, you see the three of Hey, hey, we're, we're Sam. We got Gary. Hey, Gary. Yeah, get him. Look at you. don't know how to sit right. Look at you. Know, oh, like, man, Gary, he's not ready. Come on, man. Hey. Hey, the three of us the three shot. We know what that is. It's time to lock the door. Right, the door. Welcome Dude. to another edition of Thunderdome. All right, here we are for Coach versus Coach. I've got Gary, the Hall of Famer against the future Hall of Famer and Coach Grice. Uh, both of them are going to have a great battle tonight. Uh, Coach Grice, you're the home team tonight, so you get to receive or defer. What's the choice? What do you mean? The home team, he's the away team. He's got to call it. Yeah, he, so he, he didn't right. get it? I'm going to take Sam's spot, and I'm going to defer like he always does. That works. I'll take it. <laughs> okay. All right. Hey, uh, question uh, number one, uh, home does the home field matter uh, when deciding to kick or tie uh, for uh, two in the win? And before I give it to you to answer, uh, I want to hear what a state championship winning coach has to say on the matter. Uh, so let's look at Coach Mike Brodowitz. Well, I mean, right now, the way we were, way we were playing, our, our, our PAT field goal has been a little inconsistent right there. And, you know, really, truthfully, after Marvin Ridge last year, when I, when I first time I ever decided to settle for an extra a field goal, I said, this time I'm going to put it to the guys that have just worked their butts off out there and, and, and put their hands. If we can't get three yards, as Coach Ode used to say, that we don't deserve to win, These the seniors said, let's go for it. And I said, hey, it's, it's their team. Let's go for it. All right, you're up. 
I don't think it matters. I mean, I, I think honestly, I think the bigger piece there, and I think what he kind of talked about is one, you know, just your offense. If you feel like you're the better team, you know, clearly he thought, and, you know, referenced the great coach Odo, like, you know, he references that, hey, my offense is better than yours. I know how to get three yards, and there's nothing you can do about it. And you're too tired to stop me. And I think that's the decision and mentality that he had. And to me, don't care if I'm playing on Pluto. If my offense is better than yours and I can get three yards, I'm going to get it. We're going to dance on the moon. Well, I think home field definitely doesn't matter. I think you look at the momentum of the game. Uh, if you've had the momentum, you've come back from a long ways now, go ahead and finish it off. Um, if you've been winning the whole game, then go ahead and, and tie it up and let's play for overtime. But I think it depends on the circumstances when you make that last score. But I don't think home field has anything whatsoever to do with whether you go for the win or go for the tie. All right. Uh, that's it, Coach Gary Richmond. We're going to stay with you on this next question here, Coach versus Coach. Uh, besides the final score, what is the most important stat in a high school football game? Turnovers. Definitely turnovers. Um, if you don't have the ball, you can't score. If the other team takes the ball from you and they score, you can't win. So it's got to be turnovers. I mean, I think Gary was trying to get to the point, but he, he stopped at the end and went the wrong direction. It's time of possession. If I you don't have the ball, you can't score. Like, I, if I have the ball, you can't do anything to make it happen. So to me, it's time of possession. And I, yes, I get being a tempo coach saying that time of possession is important. It's ironic. Whatever. If I've got the ball, you can't do anything with it. But ultimately, I want to answer the question and say, I don't give a dang what the other, the stats or whatever it says. If I got more points than you, we won. That's all that matters. I've, I've been in a situation where we've won and had maybe 120 yards total offense. And I've been in a situation where I've scored 30 and we've had freaking 400 yards offense and lost. So the final score really is the only important thing. But, you know, we like to argue. Yeah, I mean, of course, the final score is, is the final stat. But it, like I said, what what if I score on the first play of every possession? Then time of possession doesn't mean anything. It's well, turnover. Opponent clearly doesn't mean anything either. If you're scoring on the first <laughs> possession, that go. We're talking about real games here. <laughs> All right, Coach Christ, so we're going to stay with you. This is an interesting question to me. Uh, you know, me being one of the old school guys, I know how I feel about it. Uh, but best uniform combination in football: all white on the road or a solid color at home? I, I want to know what you think. Oh, all white on the road is just, to me, is the cleanest, just I'm here for business uniform combination there is. Every team that's worth anything has a wonderful, beautiful, just all white, we're here for business. That was a fun thing last year um, on our, you know, little run Mallet Creek. Uh, when we went to Butler, we're out there in the all white. And, of course, you know, as we become superstitious guys, um, through the playoffs, taking that thing up to Asheville, being up there in the cold, just repping our all white. It just, it, it's just too clean. It just signifies, hey, we're just here for business. You feel godly. You just feel, you feel amazing with that all white on the road. He's right. I hate it. <laughs> I hate, I hate that he went first because he's right. I like. That's that. why you received. You wanted the third. That's why you received. <laughs> he's right. That all white. I mean, it just depends on what your school colors are. Uh, some school colors are, are not appropriate for, you know, the, the jersey and the pants looking the same. I mean, it, it, say if your school colors are, are, are purple, you come out, you looking like Barney. You know, you got a bunch of Barneys <laughs> running around. So it, 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 it kind of He said that because we have purple. That's 
But oh, I know one thing, Bryce, I didn't even think about you at a purple school. So uh, one, one, thing, one thing I'll say that we've started doing that I we did it at well and we've done it um here at Cox Mill. I like the white bottom, especially if you're in a turf field. I like the white home bottoms with your solid color. I don't know, like that's been like a fun homecoming, you know, senior night, like for senior night, we did the teal with the white pants. That oh, that was good. Just it's just a nice, clean, like, you know, you're here to play with that solid color. Let's everybody know we're home. Man, I agree with both of y'all. Uh, you know, I'm going to go to Alabama. I want to go to T.C. Williams and remember the Titans. All white, you know. Think of T.K.'s run at uh, Independence. Them road games, the Patriots wore all white. It's the most clean-looking football. I was told this a long time ago. Less is more. I got to agree with both of you two men. Had to do it. All right. Hey, that that, that Barney comment was crazy. <laughs> No, he, Gary had me dying. Gary had me dying with the Barney comment. I, I Gary's I witty, but I, I, Gary I, is very witty. I also like the white top with the color bottom, like the Panthers had on Sunday with the white with the black belt. I like that too. I like that too. But I do like the all white. Butler Panthers look like white. they stepped out of the nineteen fifties with them. No, I love that also. look, man. I love the Butler played. I think in the two eleven state championship game at the, the, the year wrong. They were all white at Chapel Hill. They were like brand new. I say, like, man, that looks good. And I went to go get something to eat. They were up like twenty one nothing when I got back. They played really well. You know, that's one of the best teams I've ever seen. By the way, so you mentioned Butler. Every team look out. Good. That team looks good. Yeah, yeah, they got they got, they got, they got by, by a couple weeks ago. They definitely got it got it going. Oh, they look good this past Friday. Hey, I, I, I want to mention the Panthers should stick with that same uniform combination they had last week. Always, you, you know why? They won because they won. Cameron, you had a thought on the four A rankings. I, I dogged you out there before. They're Go ahead. killing me. Yeah, you you just can't drop Chambers that low after losing a close game like that to Huff. I mean, they were, what, in third place and Huff was in fourth? No, absolutely. I'll tell you, because Chambers has not gotten it done this year. Chambers is not a great football team. Well, put they beat Nick Drew. Drew. is not a great football they, team. They I'm put calling up 20 it right now. On Nick Chambers Drew. is not a great football team. Then Huff is not a great football team. Boy. Huff is a great football Alex, team. Alex, no, Alex, they're not. They Alex, just barely Alex, beat Chambers. Mr. Lash is going to be on you with his petty. This is so, coming from the same guy that don't have you Shelby know, in the two Come on. I am sick and tired of this posturing with all of these schools who claim to be so great who can't get it done with impression in impressive fashion. Well, you better hope it we, rains in that four They won seven. hope it rains. Let's How go. How does Huff then rank How does Huff then rank so high? I can't wait till next year. Highlights like, give the copy. This was almost some slow bullshit. Hang it on. I cannot wait. I'm going to hope it rains just like the hurricane comes in the None of these teams. None of these teams could play with the Independence teams of the early 2000s. None of these teams could play with the Butler teams that followed Independence. None of these teams could play with the Richmond teams of 98 and 99. These teams are not that good. That's about the only thing I agree with you tonight. That, but like, I, that's, I that's irrelevant. That's not a talking cool. point here. We're not comparing those Thank teams to those teams at the time. That, that's irrelevant. But we're talking relative to this season. Exactly. So, Alex, that point is so irrelevant. I'm talking to the posturing these teams are doing, trying to act like they're so great. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, now, Cardinal Gibbons has started doing those videos, too, the slow motion videos. They're doing the same thing. Doing the same thing. No one's doing the same thing. I'm just saying. Uh, You can do that when you have a ring right now. 
I got the ring. I can't. Hey, look, I, I, I got to sit down. He calls the ring. They got the ring. They got the ring. Got the ring. Nick Drew, Nick Drew defense. Got the ring. Cameron, you were going to sit in for the, the big star who's not here tonight, so you get the final word. Yeah, I'm just going to, uh, you know, really say thoughts and prayers with Mallard Creek. Um, that's a very unfortunate situation. Um, yeah, I, I'd hate to put myself in, you know, those kids' shoes right now and just have to go out there and play this week. But, uh, you know, thoughts with them. Uh, looking forward to the games this week. You know, I'll be at Audrey Kale and Myers Park. It'll be interesting to see how well Myers Park plays, um, you know, coming off. Did they win last week, Langston, or were they on by? Who? Myers Park. They won by. Okay, they won by. Well, they they won the week before then against uh, Barry. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, they play against that Audrey Kell defense. Yeah, Cameron, we we can't give you the last word, and we have dead air, man. You got to like, you got to have it ready. You got to be like Sam. <laughs> Come on, you got to getting your hair looking. You know, you started so great. You got yeah, to have the dead air. I don't have the dreadlocks. You got it. <laughs> next time I'll just Sam is, next time I'll just shout out Nick Drew. Right Sam is watching right now. You got to know your facts. No, no. <laughs> but, uh, this is a, this is a sneaky big game for Mars Park because they want to, they, you know, they want to kind of be back on the, the comeback train. If they can knock off Arjun Kell, it, it would uh, put them in a chance to uh, in the chance in place to turn a playoff spot. So it's a big big game for them. They got a monster crowd over there. Both sides should be packed out. It should be a fun game for you to go watch. Um, Wait a second. Oh no, I'm I'm giving subliminal messages to Grice. He knows what I'm looking at. Okay, his all right. All good. All good. But look, man, it's been a fun show. We're a little heavy, uh, and I knew we we're gonna be heavy today. I apologize. But Chelsea will be back next week. Sam will be back next week. We'll have a good time. Um, I'm Langston. That's Gary. That's the girl, the number one voice high school football. Dale Ross, one of the who's disappearing. They're disappearing, Dale Ross. <laughs> Alex Bass, and you see why we call Alex Bass a contrarian. You've seen it during the show. Chris is back on the Sunday. Dale, Dale had to turn off his iron. I know, right? <laughs> the iron's still sitting here now. The yeah, iron's still, still here. here. Then, uh, Coach Price, the number one color guy in North Carolina, number two voice high school football, and uh, Cameron Williams, the get, the guru in training, and we are talking presence. <laughs> <laughs>